bringing hope to many around the globe, transforming lives into legacies. Live in Word with Pastor Mensah Otobil. And now, today's Word. So what lessons do we learn? That we must use words to resist the pressure of life's winds. Our words determine the structure of our lives. Proverbs 6.2 says, we are snared by the words of our mouths. We are snared. Your words literally trap you. And not only that, we must use words to purposefully guide our lives. Don't say I'm dead when you want to overcome a challenge. You know, many times people hear something Something really, really, a fierce wind comes against them. And the first thing they say is, I'm dead. Or I will die. Or as for this, it will kill me. Now the fierce wind has come. But with your words, you must direct it elsewhere. During the Second World War, when Winston Churchill has just been made prime minister in Great Britain, is suffering adversity from the army of Nazi Germany. You would say there was fierce winds against Great Britain. But Winston Churchill decided to use his words. And he told the people of Britain that they would never surrender. Never, never. They will fight in the air. They will fight on the ground. They will fight around every coast. And they will never yield any space. What was he doing? Fierce winds coming. Bombs coming against him. But he's using words to determine the rest of the journey. Words are more powerful than winds. Words are more powerful than winds. The winds of life are strong. They are fierce. But the words of your mouth are more powerful Jesus taught us that when the winds came against him and the boat and his disciples were crying, Lord, don't you care? We are perishing. Lord, we are dying. We are, I think they were Ghanaians. Lord, we are dying. They were dying. Jesus stood up and he didn't say, hey, we are dying. He said, peace be still. What was he doing? He was using words to control the elements. A leader must learn to stay the ship on course even when the winds of adversity are coming. How does he do it? With his words. We would not give up. We would not die. We would not bow. We would not be defeated. We will rise again. We will overcome. In the midst of racism, Martin Luther King stood up and said, I have a dream. And spoke about his dream. But the winds were wrong. But his words steered the ship. And his dream became a reality. Leaders are masters of words. You cannot control the winds of adversity. But you can control how the ship of your life should end. You can control how the ship of your family will end. You can control how the ship of a nation will end by the words you speak. By the words we speak. Our words must be used to win our battles. D. 
David used words as his first weapon against Goliath. Goliath told him how he was going to treat him. And David responded with words before he threw a stone, before he launched a physical weapon, he let his words come against the adversity of life. If you're going to be a leader, you have to be a master of words. And you have to learn to prepare your words and sharpen your words and speak the right words, even in time of adversity. Don't use words by heart. Don't just say, this is how I feel it. If you don't like it, I mean, I've said it. Most of the people who do that, according to the Bible, their title starts with F <laughs> and ends with L. In between is O-O. <laughs> govern your words. So we've talked about three things we must govern. Govern your heart, govern your thoughts, govern your words. And the final thing under self-government that we have to learn to govern is govern your appetite. Govern your appetite. Every true leader must learn to govern his or her appetite. Appetite has to do with your desires, the things you really want, the things you crave for, the things you wish you had. Proverbs chapter 23, verse 1 to 5. When you sit down to eat with a ruler, consider carefully what is said before you and put a knife to your throat if you are a man given to appetite. Do not desire his delicacies. For they are deceptive food. Do not overwork to be rich because of your own understanding. Cease. Will you set your eyes on that which is not? For riches certainly make themselves wings. They fly away like an eagle toward heaven. There's a lot to unpack there. I can't do all of it in this series. I may visit it one day. But look at the phrase there. He says, when you sit with somebody and they spread before you delicacies. Delicacy is what you really want. Now, it can be food. It can be uh, money. It can be sex. It can be so many things that is spread before you. And that's what you really want. He says, when you are in a situation where the thing you really wish you had is put before you in abundance... He tells you what to do, put a knife to your throat. Everybody put your hand at your throat, do this. All right. Now, if you remember to do that anytime you are before anything that is really attractive to you and you really want, anytime you're faced with that, remember and do this. That's what the writer says, put a knife to your throat. He's not telling you kill yourself. But it's close to it. Now what does it mean to put a knife to your throat? It means think of the dangers in your desires. Because many times when we are faced with the things we really want, we only think of the good things that can come up out of it. But what are the dangers? You want to be a leader, what is the danger? You want promotion. What is the danger? 
You want to be the chief accountant, what's the danger? You want to be the senior pastor, what is the danger? Because many times we only think about the positives and never the negatives, the danger. So he says when your desire is put before you, think of the dangers. Pause a little bit and think of the dangers because there is something about that situation you are not seeing carefully. And not only think of the dangers, it means to open your eyes to the deception. Be alert to the deception that promises gratification without pain. Are you being told the whole truth? Is someone playing on your needs? Is somebody playing on your emotions? Is somebody taking advantage of the crisis you are in? Are you being pushed to fight a battle that has no concern to you? Put a knife to your throat. Open to deception. Everybody has got needs. Everybody has needs. We all have needs for appreciation. I want to be appreciated. You want to be appreciated. You want somebody to be nice to you, to, to treat you well. It's a human desire. Each one of us has got a deep desire to be appreciated. When you go to a place and people treat you well, you feel good. You go to a place they don't treat you well, you don't feel good. So when somebody comes into your life, and it's appreciating you excessively. You have to ask yourself, what's going on here? I, didn't, I don't know you from, from Adam. I haven't seen you before. I just met you last three weeks. And now I'm the greatest person you've ever met in your life. You've been alive for probably about 50 years. You've met people for 50 years. You met me three weeks, I'm, I'm the greatest. Then what happened to all those in the last 50 years? Why is he praising you so much? Why is he telling you all those nice things? Why is he telling you all the good things? Why is he trying to make you feel like you are, quote unquote, King Kong? So you get a political office and all of a sudden everybody is praising you, everybody is coming to you and saying all the nice things. Where is the deception? Because there is. People don't praise you for nothing. A man is giving you attention and buying lunch for you and buying lunch for you and buying lunch for you and buy. Where is it going? I like lunch. Lunch is good. Put a knife to your throat. Because you start a job and all of a sudden your boss makes you the special one in the office. Treating you specially and you call it favor. Oh, uh, my, my, oh, it's favor. The fa it's not the favor of the Lord. Put a knife to your throat. You have to control your appetite. Control your appetite. Control your appetite. To put a knife to your throat means open your eyes to the deception. Who is deceiving you? Stop yourself from yielding to the temptation. You can stop yourself. You can pull back. Even if you've gone far, you can turn around. We have to learn to govern 
our appetites. Now some have appetite for food, we have to learn to govern it. Some have appetite for alcohol, we have to learn to govern it. Some have appetite for sex, you have to learn to govern it. Some have appetite for promotion. They always want to be the best, they always want to be the highest, you have to learn to govern it. Because if you don't govern your appetites for power, for money, for gain, for respect, for appreciation, somebody will manipulate you very easily because they know how to get you. People will always get you based on your needs. If you have no need, nobody can control you. But when you have needs that are excessive, you become a football in other people's match. They kick you any which way they want you to go. And believe you me, it happens at home. Sometimes children know how to manipulate their parents. Husbands know how to do it to their wives, wives do it to their husbands in the domestic arrangement. It happens at the larger level. Sometimes even parents manipulate their children because maybe they helped you, maybe uh, you're a single mother and you took good care of your son and because his father didn't take good care of him and you sold all your clothes and all your jewelry and, and before you realize that becomes a point of control and so on and so forth. So you look through life, you have to ask yourself, the thing that is said before me, this thing I'm looking at, where is the catch? Put a knife to your throat. A knife, a knife. Money, put a knife to your throat. Because money can make you do things you, you never thought you would do. Oh yeah, it will make you fight people you love to make you betray your best friend. Money can make you do things so nasty, you, you yourself feel rotten inside because of your appetite. At a certain point in your life, you have to manage your appetite. Now how do you do that? It's difficult for all of us. It's difficult for me. It's difficult for you. So we have to learn from somebody who I think was able to figure it out. And that's the Apostle Paul. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 11 to 13, he gives us a clue as to how he manages these things. And this is what Paul says. He says, not that I speak in regard of need, for I've learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased, I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I've learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now many times we quote the verse 13 uh, in a sense of we can achieve whatever we want to achieve, but Paul is actually using this directly in terms of his sense of contentment. In other words, Paul is saying, if I don't have it, 
I'm fine. If I have it, I'm fine. If I'm in prison, I'm fine. If I'm free, I'm fine. If I'm preaching at the top, I'm fine. If I'm preaching the prison, I'm fine. Why? Because through God's grace, I can handle any situation. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can, I can be content. I can be happy. It, it's, it's important for us to allow the grace of God to make us happy. Because if Christ doesn't make you happy, nothing will make you happy. By now you know money doesn't make you happy. Men will make you happy. Women will make you happy. You know, sometimes you see men who like women and you wonder, what's wrong with them? Because they have tall, short, big size, extra small. You know. And they have all of that. They have ugly, they have beautiful. And sometimes you look at some of the ladies that they are going after, you say, is he crazy? Is he crazy? Is he? He's not crazy. His eyes are open. But his appetites are so strong and there's no knife. So he just pursues. And when he gets what he's pursuing, he's empty and pursues. Empty, pursue, empty, pursue, empty, pursue, empty, pursue, empty. Because what you are getting never fills you. That should tell you it's not what you're looking for. If it's satisfied, you would have been content. You wanted a beautiful wife, you got it. Then you saw another one, you want that one too. Then you saw another one, you want that one too. Then you saw, so by this time you should know, well, it's not really beauty I'm looking for. I am so empty inside. I'm so dry inside. And I've come to realize these will not fulfill me. So what do I do? I have to go to the source of my true happiness and contentment. And Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the answer. He's all you need. He's the alpha and the omega of your desires. When you have him, you are full. If you don't have him, you try to fill him, your emptiness with so many things. There is an emptiness in man, says St. Augustine. There is an emptiness in every human being that only God can fill. And nothing else can fill it. So how do we control our appetite? We have to set Christ as our chief desire. John the Baptist said, he must increase, I must decrease. The apostle Paul says that I may know him. That's my chief desire. Do I want to make money? Oh yeah, I'm a human being. I want to make money. Do I want to be appreciated? Yeah, I want to be appreciated. Do I want to be respected? Yes, I want to be respected. But if I put all of that in my life, what is the number one? What is the topmost? That when I get it, I can say, I've got it. Paul is saying, when you put all of that, money, appreciation, respect, everything together, the topmost should be Christ. So when I have him, I may not have the money but I'm content. 
when I have him and I have money, I'm still content, not because of the money, but because I have him. He must be our number one desire. And as Christians, we must strive towards that, where Christ is not just a name we use for prayer or a means for us to prosper, but Christ is all that we are looking for. He's the end and the beginning of everything. We have to learn contentment in every situation. And I like how the Apostle Paul puts it. He says, I have learned or I have learned to be content. I have learned. That means that he probably went through situations where he wasn't content, but he had to learn it. He had to learn the lessons of contentment. Whether I have it or I don't have it, I'm okay. If I'm hungry and there's no food, I'm still happy. If there's abundance of food, I'm still happy. If all men praise me, I'm happy. If all men criticize me, I'm happy. And the reason is because I don't depend on them. My contentment is in Christ. Because one of the things you're going to learn in life is that people will say, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. And next week we'll say, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And when they say crucify him, you wonder, where are the Hosanna people? Oh, they've changed the language because <laughs> they say whatever is convenient to be said. Whatever is public opinion is what they'll say. If everybody's saying crucify, they'll say crucify. Everybody say Hosanna, they'll say Hosanna. Fame is very fleeting. It passes just like that. One moment everybody likes you, next moment nobody likes you. One moment everybody says you are the best, next moment they say you are the worst. Even as a pastor, you have to learn that your congregation cannot be trusted. No, no, I, I trust you as human beings, but I don't trust you fully. I don't trust you fully. Because you are human. I'm not saying it in a negative way. I'm saying you are human. The Bible says concerning Jesus, he knew what was in the heart of man, so he didn't trust them. He served them. He met their need, but didn't trust them. Because one day they said, let's make him king. Jesus says, I don't want you to make me king. I know you. I know what your true intentions are. If you, give, if you make me king and I don't give you bread next week, I'm in trouble. So keep your kingship to yourself. Just let me be my Jesus. He knew what was in the heart of man. You are a great congregation. As long as I'm nice. Isn't that so? I mean, if, if next week I come to church and preach something really annoying, you all leave church and go and gather under trees and say, what did pastor mean? What did he say? Hey, hey, we have to be careful. We have to be careful. We have to be careful. This man, we have to be careful with him. Hey, hey, he can't take us for granted. I know. I know that. I know that. I know that. It's, it's because you are human. You are normal human beings. So if my satisfaction is going to be in trying to please you, I'll be very disappointed in life. But if my satisfaction is to please him who called me, then I will always be satisfied. And that is how we must live our lives. 
Not to please men, but to please God. And to know that the best of people will disappoint us. Not because they are bad. I'm, I'm sure I disappoint people. Not because I'm a bad person. I think I'm a pretty good person. But I'm sure there are people who say, Oh, pastor, he's disappointed me. Oh, pastor, he's disappointed yeah, Because I'm human. Maybe you expected me to do something I can't do for you because I don't have the capacity to do it. Or even if I have the capacity, I don't think you should be the one I should do it for. Uh, you know, things happen in life. So you will disappoint somebody. Each one of us disappoints somebody. But true contentment is not in trying to please everybody and making everybody happy. True contentment is living with a pure conscience to make God happy. And when you can do that, you can say with Paul, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And I pray that Jesus will be the center of your life. He'll be your heart desire. He'll be number one in your heart. That you wake up in the morning and you just say, I want to please God. I want to do his will. You go to bed in the evening, you say, Lord, I want to serve you. I want to worship you. I, I want to do things that bring glory and honor to your name. I just want to serve you. I want to please you. Early in the morning, in the afternoon, in the evening, wherever I am, my heart desire is to please Jesus. And if that becomes your heart desire, you would have mastered number four. You will learn to govern your appetite. Amen. But before I close, why don't we all stand for a moment, just to, a couple of minutes just to pray and talk to the Lord. We've learned about self-government. We have to govern our hearts, govern our thoughts, govern our words, govern our appetites. And just talk to the Lord and just say, Lord, you know I can do this all by myself, but I trust you to help me to be a self-governed person. Talk to him right now. Your heart, your thoughts, your words, your appetites. If you have appetites that are killing you, why don't you submit them to the Lord and say, Lord, this desire is just destroying me. Help me, Lord. Help me. Jesus, be the center of my life. Jesus, be the center of my life. Be my beginning and my end. Dedicate yourself afresh to him. Commit your ways to the Lord. He will direct your path. So Father, we come to you asking that you give us grace by your Holy Spirit, the chief governor, to govern our hearts, to govern our words, to govern our thoughts, to govern our appetites. Help us, Lord, to become leaders in our families, in our homes, in our communities, in our offices, who are not driven by the winds of life and manipulated by the desires of men. But help us, Lord, to be free from all men, that we may be slaves only to one man, Jesus, and serve him all the days of our lives. Help us, Lord, that Christ will be enthroned in our hearts, in our minds, as Lord and King, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you.
So what lessons do we learn? That we must use words to resist the pressure of life's winds. Our words determine the structure of our lives. Proverbs 6, 2 says, we are snared by the words of our mouths. We are snared. Your words literally trap you. And not only that, we must use words to purposefully guide our lives. Don't say I'm dead when you want to overcome a challenge. You know, many times people hear something, something really, really, a fierce wind comes against them. And the first thing they say is, I'm dead. Or I will die. Or as for this, it will kill me. Now the fierce wind has come. But with your words, you must direct it elsewhere. During the Second World War, when Winston Churchill has just been made prime minister and Great Britain is suffering adversity from the army of Nazi Germany, you would say there was fierce winds against Great Britain. But Winston Churchill decided to use his words. He told the people of Britain that they would never surrender, never, never. They will fight in the air, they will fight on the ground, they will fight around every coast, and they will never yield any space. What was he doing? Fierce winds coming, bombs coming against him, but he's using words to determine the rest of the journey. Words are more powerful than winds. Words are more powerful than winds. The winds of life are strong, they are fierce but the words of your mouth are more powerful. Jesus taught us that when the winds came against him and the boat and his disciples were crying, Lord, don't you care? We are perishing. Lord, we are dying. We are, I think they were Ghanaians. Lord, we are dying. They were dying. Jesus stood up and he didn't say, hey, we are dying. He said, peace be still. What was he doing? He was using words to control the elements. A leader must learn to stay the ship on course even when the winds of adversity are coming. And how does he do it? With his words. We would not give up. We would not die. We would not bow. We would not be defeated. We will rise again. We will overcome. In the midst of racism, Martin Luther King stood up and said, I have a dream. And spoke about his dream. But the winds were wrong. But his words steered the ship. And his dream became a reality. Leaders are masters of words. You cannot control the winds of adversity. But you can control how the ship of your life should end. You can control how the ship of your family will end. You can control how the ship of a nation will end by the words you speak. By the words we speak. Our words must be used to win our battles. David used words as his first weapon against Goliath. Goliath told him, how he was going to treat him and David responded with words before he threw a stone 
before he launched a physical weapon, he let his words come against the adversity of life. If you're going to be a leader, you have to be a master of words. And you have to learn to prepare your words and sharpen your words and speak the right words, even in time of adversity. Don't use words by heart. Don't just say, this is how I feel it. If you don't like it, uh, mean I've said it. Most the people who do that, according to the Bible, their title starts with F <laughs> and ends with L. In between is O-O. <laughs> govern your words. So we've talked about three things we must govern. Govern your heart, govern your thoughts, govern your words. And the final thing under self-government that we have to learn to govern is govern your appetite. Govern your appetite. Every true leader must learn to govern his or her appetite. Appetite has to do with your desires, the things you really want, the things you crave for, the things you wish you had. Proverbs chapter 23, verse 1 to 5. When you sit down to eat with a ruler, consider carefully what is said before you. And put a knife to your throat if you are a man given to appetite. Do not desire his delicacies, for they are deceptive food. Do not overwork to be rich because of your own understanding. Cease. Will you set your eyes on that which is not? For riches certainly make themselves wings. They fly away like an eagle toward heaven. There's a lot to unpack there. I can't do all of it in this series. I may visit it one day. But look at the phrase there. He says, when you sit with somebody and they spread before you delicacies. Delicacy is what you really want. Now, it can be food. It can be uh, money. It can be sex. It can be so many things that is spread before you. And that's what you really want. He says, when you are in a situation where the thing you really wish you had is put before you in abundance, he tells you what to do. Put a knife to your throat. Everybody put your hand at your throat. Do this. All right. Now, if you remember to do that any time you are before anything that is really attractive to you and you really want, any time you're faced with that, remember and do this. That's what the writer says, put a knife to your throat. He's not telling you kill yourself, but it's close to it. Now, what does it mean to put a knife to your throat? It means think of the dangers in your desires. Because many times when we are faced with the things we really want, we only think of the good things that can come up out of it. But what are the dangers? You want to be a leader, what is the danger? You want promotion, what is the danger? You want to be the chief accountant, what's the danger? You want to be the senior pastor, what is the danger? Because many times we only think about the positives and never the negatives, the danger. So he says when your desire is 
put before you, think of the dangers. Pause a little bit and think of the dangers because there is something about that situation you are not seeing carefully. And not only think of the dangers, it means to open your eyes to the deception. Be alert to the deception that promises gratification without pain. Are you being told the whole truth? Is someone playing on your needs? Is somebody playing on your emotions? Is somebody taking advantage of the crisis you are in? Are you being pushed to fight a battle that has no concern to you? Put a knife to your throat. Open to deception. Everybody has got needs. Everybody has needs. We all have needs for appreciation. I want to be appreciated. You want to be appreciated. You want somebody to be nice to you, to, to treat you well. It's a human desire. Each one of us has got a deep desire to be appreciated. When you go to a place and people treat you well, you feel good. You go to a place they don't treat you well, you don't feel good. So when somebody comes into your life and is appreciating you excessively, you have to ask yourself, what's going on here? I, didn't, I don't know you from, from Adam. I haven't seen you before. I just met you last three weeks. And now I'm the greatest person you've ever met in your life. You've been alive for probably about 50 years. You've met people for 50 years. You met me three weeks. I'm, I'm the greatest. Then what happened to all those in the last 50 years? Why is he praising you so much? Why is he telling you all those nice things? Why is he telling you all the good things? Why is he trying to make you feel like you are, quote and unquote, King Kong? So you get a political office and all of a sudden everybody's praising you, everybody's coming to you and saying all the nice things. Where is the deception? Because there is. People don't praise you for nothing. A man is giving you attention and buying lunch for you and buying lunch for you and buying lunch for you and buy. Where is it going? I like lunch. Lunch is good. Put a knife to your throat. Because you start a job and all of a sudden your boss makes you the special one in the office. Treating you specially and you call it favor. Oh, uh, my, my, oh, it's favor. The fa it's not the favor of the Lord. Put a knife to your throat. You have to control your appetite. Control your appetite. Control your appetite. To put a knife to your throat means open your eyes to the deception. Who is deceiving you? Stop yourself from yielding to the temptation. You can stop yourself. You can pull back. Even if you've gone far, you can turn around. We have to learn to govern our appetites. Now some have appetite for food. We have to learn to govern it. Some have appetite for alcohol. We have to learn to govern it. Some have appetite for sex. You have to learn to govern it. 
Some have appetite for promotion. They always want to be the best. They always want to be the highest. You have to learn to govern it. Because if you don't govern your appetites for power, for money, for gain, for respect, for appreciation, somebody will manipulate you very easily. Because they know how to get you. People will always get you based on your needs. If you have no need, nobody can control you. But when you have needs that are excessive, you become a football in other people's match. They kick you any which way they want you to go. And believe you me, it happens at home. Sometimes children know how to manipulate their parents. Husbands know how to do it to their wives. Wives do it to their husbands in the domestic arrangement. It happens at the larger level. Sometimes even parents manipulate their children because maybe they helped you, maybe uh, you are a single mother and you took good care of your son and because his father didn't take good care of him and you sold all your clothes and all your jewelry and, and before you realize that becomes a point of control and so on and so forth so you look through life you have to ask yourself the thing that is said before me this thing I'm looking at where is the catch? Put a knife to your throat. A knife, a knife. Money, put a knife to your throat. Because money can make you do things you, you never thought you would do. Oh yeah. It will make you fight people you love to make you betray your best friend. Money can make you do things so nasty. You, you yourself feel rotten inside because of your appetite. At a certain point in your life, you have to manage your appetite. Now, how do you do that? It's difficult for all of us. It's difficult for me. It's difficult for you. So we have to learn from somebody who I think was able to figure it out. And that's the Apostle Paul. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 11 to 13, he gives us a clue as to how he manages these things. And this is what Paul says. He says, not that I speak in regard of need, for I've learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased. I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I've learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, many times we quote the verse 13 uh, in a sense of we can achieve whatever we want to achieve. But Paul is actually using this directly in terms of his sense of contentment. In other words, Paul is saying, if I don't have it, I'm fine. If I have it, I'm fine. If I'm in prison, I'm fine. If I'm free, I'm fine. If I'm preaching at the top, I'm fine. If I'm preaching the prison, I'm fine. Why? Because through God's grace, I can handle any situation. 
I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can, I can be content. I can be happy. It, it's, it's important for us to allow the grace of God to make us happy. Because if Christ doesn't make you happy, nothing will make you happy. By now you know money doesn't make you happy. Men will make you happy. Women will make you happy. You know, sometimes you see men who like women and you wonder, what's wrong with them? Because they have tall, short, big size, extra small. You know. And they have all of that. They have ugly, they have beautiful. And sometimes you look at some of the ladies that they are going after, you say, is he crazy? Is he crazy? Is he? He's not crazy. His eyes are open. But his appetites are so strong and there's no knife. So he just pursues. And when he gets what he's pursuing, he's empty and pursues. Empty, pursue, empty, pursue, empty, pursue, empty, pursue, empty. Because what you are getting never fills you. That should tell you it's not what you're looking for. If it's satisfied, you would have been content. You wanted a beautiful wife, you got it. Then you saw another one, you want that one too. Then you saw another one, you want that one too. Then you saw, so by this time you should know, well, it's not really beauty I'm looking for. I am so empty inside. I'm so dry inside. And I've come to realize these will not fulfill me. So what do I do? I have to go to the source of my true happiness and contentment. And Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the answer. He's all you need. He's the alpha and the omega of your desires. When you have him, you are full. If you don't have him, you try to fill him, your emptiness with so many things. There is an emptiness in man, says St. Augustine, there is an emptiness in every human being that only God can feel. And nothing else can feel it. So how do we control our appetite? We have to set Christ as our chief desire. John the Baptist said, he must increase, I must decrease. The apostle Paul says that I may know him. That's my chief desire. Do I want to make money? Oh yeah, I'm a human being. I want to make money. Do I want to be appreciated? Yeah, I want to be appreciated. Do I want to be respected? Yes, I want to be respected. But if I put all of that in my life, what is the number one? What is the topmost? That when I get it, I can say, I've got it. Paul is saying, when you put all of that, money, appreciation, respect, everything together, the topmost should be Christ. So when I have him, I may not have the money, but I'm content. When I have him and I have money, I'm still content, not because of the money, but because I have him. He must be our number one desire. And as Christians, we must strive towards that, where Christ is not just a name we use for prayer, 
or a means for us to prosper. But Christ is all that we are looking for. He's the end and the beginning of everything. We have to learn contentment in every situation. And I like how the Apostle Paul puts it. He says, I have learned or I have learned to be content. I have learned. That means that he probably went through situations where he wasn't content, but he had to learn it. He had to learn the lessons of contentment. Whether I have it or I don't have it, I'm okay. If I'm hungry and there is no food, I'm still happy. If there is abundance of food, I'm still happy. If all men praise me, I'm happy. If all men criticize me, I'm happy. And the reason is because I don't depend on them. My contentment is in Christ. Because one of the things you're going to learn in life is that people will say, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. And next week we'll say, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And when they say crucify him, you wonder, where are the Hosanna people? Oh, they've changed the language because <laughs> they say whatever is convenient to be said. Whatever is public opinion is what they'll say. If everybody's saying crucify, they'll say crucify. Everybody say Hosanna, they'll say Hosanna. Fame is very fleeting. It passes just like that. One moment everybody likes you, next moment nobody likes you. One moment everybody says you are the best, next moment they say you are the worst. Even as a pastor, you have to learn that your congregation cannot be trusted. No, no, I, I trust you as human beings, but I don't trust you fully. I don't trust you fully. Because you are human. I'm not saying it in a negative way. I'm saying you are human. The Bible says concerning Jesus, he knew what was in the heart of man, so he didn't trust them. He served them. He met their need, but didn't trust them. Because one day they said, let's make him king. Jesus says, I don't want you to make me king. I know you. I know what your true intentions are. If you, give, if you make me king and I don't give you bread next week, I'm in trouble. So keep your kingship to yourself. Just let me be my Jesus. He knew what was in the heart of man. You are a great congregation. As long as I'm nice. Isn't that so? I mean, if, if next week I come to church and preach something really annoying, you all leave church and go and gather under trees and say, what did pastor mean? What did he, what did he say? Hey, we have to be careful. We have to be careful. We have to be careful. This man, we have to be careful with him. Hey, hey, he can't take us for granted. I know. I know that. I know that. I know that. It's, it's because you are human. You are normal human beings. So if my satisfaction is going to be in trying to please you, I'll be very disappointed in life. But if my satisfaction is to please him who called me, then I will always be satisfied. And that is how we must live our lives. Not to please men, but to please God. And to know that the best of people will disappoint us. Not because they are bad. I'm, I'm sure I disappoint people. 
not because I'm a bad person, I think I'm a pretty good person, but I'm sure there are people who say, oh, pastor, he's disappointed me. Oh, pastor, he's disappointed yeah, because I'm human. Maybe you expected me to do something I can't do for you because I don't have the capacity to do it. Or even if I have the capacity, I don't think you should be the one I should do it for. Uh, you know, things happen in life. So you will disappoint somebody. Each one of us disappoints somebody. But true contentment is not in trying to please everybody and making everybody happy. True contentment is living with a pure conscience to make God happy. And when you can do that, you can say with Paul, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And I pray that Jesus will be the center of your life. He'll be your heart desire. He'll be number one in your heart. That you wake up in the morning and you just say, I want to please God. I want to do his will. You go to bed in the evening, you say, Lord, I want to serve you. I want to worship you. I, I want to do things that bring glory and honor to your name. I just want to serve you. I want to please you. Early in the morning, in the afternoon, in the evening, wherever I am, my heart desire is to please Jesus. And if that becomes your heart desire, you would have mastered number four. You will learn to govern your appetite. Amen. But before I close, why don't we all stand for a moment, just to, a couple of minutes just to pray and talk to the Lord. We've learned about self-government. We have to govern our hearts, govern our thoughts, govern our words, govern our appetites. And just talk to the Lord and just say, Lord, you know I can do this all by myself, but I trust you to help me to be a self-governed person. Talk to him right now. Your heart, your thoughts, your words, your appetites. If you have appetites that are killing you, why don't you submit them to the Lord and say, Lord, this desire is just destroying me. Help me, Lord. Help me. Jesus, be the center of my life. Jesus, be the center of my life. Be my beginning and my end. Dedicate yourself afresh to him. Commit your ways to the Lord. He will direct your path. So Father, we come to you asking that you give us grace by your Holy Spirit, the chief governor, to govern our hearts, to govern our words, to govern our thoughts, to govern our appetites. Help us, Lord, to become leaders in our families, in our homes, in our communities, in our offices, who are not driven by the winds of life and manipulated by the desires of men. But help us, Lord, to be free from all men, that we may be slaves only to one man, Jesus, and serve him all the days of our lives. Help us, Lord, that Christ will be enthroned in our hearts, in our minds, as Lord and King, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to Living Word. To interact with Pastor Mensah Otebe, like his page on Facebook. 
follow him on Twitter at Mensa Otterville. Email Otterville at centralgospel.com or call plus 233 302 688 000.